Hello, everyone, and welcome back to That Time We Woke Up in a Podcast and Had to Explain Manga, our heated adventures overanalyzing manga that we find interesting, otherwise known as the Over Manga Cast. And we've read a lot of classics here on this show. We've read Dragon Ball. We've read Yu-Gi-Oh! It's time that we take a look at another seminal manga. We are going to be examining the stunning, the bizarre, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. We read chapters 1 through 24. (laughs) Or uh, I say we, they read chapters 1 through 24. I was off this week, and my dear co-hosts did this without me. (sighs) I'm going to go sleep in a casket at the bottom of the ocean for a hundred years and contemplate my revenge. Enjoy the episode, everyone. So in the absence of Sam, Jay here, and welcome back to the Overmong cast. That time we woke up in a podcast and had to explain manga, our heated adventures over analyzing manga we find interesting. And on this episode, we read JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Part 1, Phantom Blood, which were chapters 1 through 24, which is the youth with Dio arc. Well, we'll usually roll right into um, everyone's familiarity with the series. For myself, I had a very, I want to say, joyfully traumatic um, introduction to the series. Um, this was back when I was in college as a naive freshman. Um, I was a member of an anime club on campus, kind of. Our anime club on campus sucked, but anyway, I was affiliated with those kind of that group. And so the hot gossip was that apparently everyone was watching JoJo's or reading JoJo's. And they're like, Jay, you have to read this. At first I was hesitant because I hadn't heard, you know, too much information about JoJo. I just, you know, everyone's like, you need to, you need to read it. You need to watch it. You need to, it's amazing. And so I resisted for about a month before eventually some friends, friends in quotation marks, took me back to one of their rooms and everyone was kind of huddled around like we usually did to watch whatever show was was all the rage at the time. And they just sat me down and said, we're watching this new show. And I said, what do you mean? That was how I first got initiated to JoJo's anime, of course. But later on, I did end up reading a few, a few parts of the manga. Um, but we'll turn it over to um, Matt and Jacob. Yeah, Jacob here. I had something of a similar experience. JoJo's is that kind of parody series that like half of the joke is that it pretends it isn't a parody. So if you're one of those people who's holding out on JoJo's like me and and Jay have, um, I waited literally years before I actually broke down and watched JoJo's. The thing that prompted me was actually the YouTube channel Mother's Basement did a rundown of all of like the manga references and symbolism and foreshadowing in the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure openings for the then recent anime. Part three had uh, just come out and eventually I just like it, it was just a matter of I had some time on my hands. I sat down and I think I binged part one in about a day. Like I just went through it so quickly. I didn't pick up the manga until fair amount later, but I have actually like I had already read not all of, but most of part one. And of course, like who doesn't know Jojo's memes? (laughs) It was a JoJo's reference. Then uh, finally, Matt here. I've got a much shorter story. Uh, I think this is basically the first time I've ever read JoJo's. Now, obviously, through cultural osmosis, I'm not 
completely yeah. blind. But like um, rel- this was relatively my first reading of it. Also, finally, when we were putting this on the reading list and you mentioned you hadn't read JoJo's, I was quite shocked. <laughs> yeah, just uh, I just didn't read it. Like I had enough people around me got real into it. And I'm like, this is uh, not quite my thing. But eh. <laughs> but um, yeah, I I know what you're thinking, uh, valued listener. Um, Man, that sounds like there's only three of them. And uh, that's true. Uh, Sam's taking a much needed vacation this week. So we decided we'd be very good friends and um, read a series he very much loves and would love to talk about without him. Yeah, something about going down to Mexico and and some uh, Aztec ruins or something. I don't know. Hey, he's got to keep on the run from those Russian assassins he keeps dating. (laughs) That's true. But anyway, speaking of Aztec ruins, we uh, start off with a quick little prologue chapter. Like This is something that's persistent through all of JoJo's. It has this sort of like 1940s serial feel to it, like particularly the announcer. You can hear like the way that the font is in the uh, the speech bubbles. They're using the announcer voice. Oh, yeah. No, this series drips in like late 70s early 80s camp like it is everything is cranked up to 10 it is the definition of campy like well it's very much a parody of what shonen was immediately beforehand and as i've mentioned a couple of times jojo's and dragon ball are contemporaries of each other uh dragon ball is you know sort of like sidestepping the that of the time tropes whereas jojo is like full on jumping into Jumping into the kiddie pool. Yeah. No, jumping into the deep end. We're going to take this, as Jake said, and dial it up. <laughs> dial it up. Because <laughs> that's JoJo's. Own it. Own it. The campy. Relative to this prologue chapter, one of the kind of nice things that, like, it wasn't until this reading of the manga that, you know, I was, like, paying attention to it and, like, taking notes and, and you know, looking through all of it, you know, closely, that I noticed one thing that, um... At the very least, uh, what we read of Phantom Blood was very good at is like it it's more planned than a lot of the series that we've done, because like the stone mask is very, very well established by the time it becomes a plot point, because this prologue chapter, what it's introducing is this uh, Aztec stone mask that when uh, blood gets on it, I think they're supposed to be ribs or something. They're they're spikes comes out and uh, impales the wearer. It pierces their skull and hits certain parts of their brain to unlock the secret hidden potential of the human brain. The the stone mask isn't the only thing there. There are a couple of different um, like plot elements that will come up over the course of our reading where they acknowledge these things exist before they become imminently relevant. It's nice to see a, a, a bit more of a planned series. Yeah, it, again, compare it to its contemporary Dragon Ball. Dragon Ball, <laughs> there is nothing planned <laughs> absolutely Pretty nothing planned and the very little depth to it <laughs> that's sort of the that's sort of the thing dragon ball develops depth whereas jojo's you can't miss an episode you can't miss hmm. a chapter i would argue jojo's also develops depth it yeah it definitely has a lot going on but i'm i'm not sure that's depth so much as playing into the genre because yeah. you do have every time a plot point comes up you could skip a chapter, I'm pretty sure, because every time something relevant comes up, a character will monologue what that relevance is. Oh, like, yeah, oh yeah. yes, that is Dio. The thing about JoJo's is, and this is something that's really important to remember about it, 
it is a quality series, just generally speaking. The places that Dragon Ball goes, I feel it goes to a deeper place. But like, certainly, if you're to, if you were to compare part one that we did of Dragon Ball to part one we did of JoJo's, oh man, JoJo's blows it out of the water. It's really impressive. Um, you know, it, it's it's little things like foreshadowing the stone mask and what it actually does. Because like, because we see what it does in the prologue uh, before we head into um, the uh, the twilight of the 20th century. Uh, friendly reminder, Jack the Ripper exists. Well, it's 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 London. So, I mean, we have to reference the fact that Jack the Ripper exists. That's a common trope just for, you know, 19th anything century. in this time period, 19th yeah. century London. You have to mention Jack the Ripper. I, I mean, that's also a very Japanese uh, mentality to take of like, like, Quick, what do we know about 19th century England? Uh, Jack the Ripper? That's good. <laughs> that works. But um, I, I will like to say my favorite part of the prologue is the Aztec leader wearing the mask uh, has a little bit of his monologue. He's just like, watch as I have been stabbed through the head, but have come back to life. How bizarre that is. And I'm like, yeah. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> title drop. <laughs> there are a couple of places where people will like, noticeably use the word bizarre like the, like there are other synonyms that would have made more sense but it's like it's specifically bizarre you don't understand yeah. they're establishing their brand <laughs> it oh it jojo's is really good at that it's not strange it's bizarre jojo's is really good at establishing its brand because you know the other thing one of the things that's most famous about jojo's is the jojo poses and those start Right from the prologue, the the I love it. The stances that the that like the uh, Aztec chief takes are just so <laughs> delightful. They are. We we find ourselves at the deathbed of one Mister Brando and his um young son Dio. Dio. Good luck telling anybody's ages. We know that Dio is a child. I can provide some speculation of how old he may be at this time, but it's not important. Um, he's by his father's bedside. What's really stuck out is the fact that apparently he's just like, well, my deceased wife, I, I have no no purpose or no um, fond memories of the people I'm leaving behind. I'm just like very bitter old man kind of kind of vibes going on. We establish Dario Brando is an awful human being just in yes. general. So just, just in general. But the fact that he then instills, I don't want to say a duty onto his son, but the fact that whether it is some shred of humanity or some shred of caring about what happens to his son, if he views him as a legacy or whatnot, the fact he tells them that, hey, there was this nobleman. Does he tell him that he immediately screwed him over? No, uh, it specifically when he flashes back, it's showing the audience. He says, I couldn't possibly tell Dio what I had done that day. I sort of wonder if it's like, oh, my my son will think less of me, which is kind of hilarious. Considering which is, and that's why I was kind of conflicted over that, because it's like he openly says essentially that, you know, my troubling wife, she's dead. And it's just kind of like everyone's obviously very disposable to him. But it's but the that shred of it wasn't even his wife in the flashback. It was just some, you know, random woman at a bar. It, well, whatever. He probably knocked her up and did ended up having to have a shotgun wedding. We know how that probably happened. Entirely possible. 
She's to- like you said, she's totally disposable. Yeah. But I mean, the fact that he shows being garbage, despite the fact that he's a garbage human being, like that is never, he's never relieved of that ever. That mm. we can pretty solidly claim that. The fact that he says that, hey, I want my son to have to, to, you know, have a decent life. To never lose to anyone, I think, is what he says specifically. Yeah. Kind of like bestowing that fatherly wisdom that perhaps isn't, he's not the right person to receive it from, but the fact that he does offer that quote-unquote advice to his son does show that he does, you know, somewhat have a relationship with his son, fatherly See, relationship. I- I, I thought that was more so like he is just immediately conveying his dreams onto Dio because he's dying. He's just like, well, that's dumb. I can't be the richest person in the world anymore. So that's got to be your job now. Uh, yeah. A dream which Dio kind of doesn't take on. He takes on out of spite. Like he's just like, huh, you wanted me to be the richest person in the world. Well, your dreams were stupid, old man, but I'll do it to show you what a failure you were like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Like he's basically going to say, I'm going to do that and then some because you couldn't do it. And it's just right out of the gate at this point. The flashback that um, Dario has on his deathbed is uh, the first time where this comes up. And it's just something that like it's one of those things that you forget about Jojo's. But once you start engaging with it again, oh, boy, you're reminded as this gets graphic sometimes like and it's like at at weird intervals too it's not like it's a it's not like it's like super gory like something like chainsaw man but like there'll be sometimes where they just do not cut away from violence where other stories would or or childhood trauma like it's right there the thing that's really interesting about dio and um this is something that gets really well established over you know him and uh our next character jojo's introduction in a different like if if dio wasn't so unapologetically purely evil mm-hmm. dio would be the hero of this story 100% because he's the undergod he's the one, he's the one who literally came from nothing had an in with a noble family was able to you know have access to and the noble son is arrogant. He's not well mannered. He's privileged. Like if Dio wasn't a literally a literal dog kicking villain, yes. Dio would so, be the so, hero of this story. Yes. So I've, I, I've got a I've got a theory. Do we know for certain Araki doesn't consider Dio the hero of this story? I don't know. For I, sure. This is Jojo's bizarre adventure, but they sure do spend a lot of time on Dio. Because they're supposed to be almost like a foil. I oh, yeah, that's exactly what it is. I actually I didn't I didn't like read it over super closely, but I skimmed something at the um, end of my copy of I have the like really fancy hardcover because like it's Jojo's. How can you not? One of the things that Araki mentioned is that the very first of the Jojo's when he was crafting his first protagonist, he wanted the first protagonist to be a paragon of goodness and virtue. And he said it kind of made him hard to write because I always had to keep that in my mind that he is just like the pinnacle of goodness personified. And that doesn't give you a lot of wiggle room with the character. Whereas Dio is a fascinating son of a bitch. 
<laughs> so it kind of makes sense that he gets that Dio gets a lot of the focus, though. You know, when we're introduced to Jonathan, Jojo, Joestar, he is an interesting character in his own right. He really is a solid protagonist in spite of whatever misgivings Araki may have had when he was writing him. Like the first thing we do is he sees someone getting bullied and he goes to try to defend that person. He promptly and soundly gets his, you know, rear end kicked, but boy, does he try and he like he doesn't he doesn't care that he loses. He stopped the bullying from happening and that is enough. And that is noble like a knight. But the problem is he's a bit too noble because the person he's defending tries to thank him and Mm -hmm. he yells at her going, I didn't do this to be thanked by you. I did this because this was noble. I'm like, what? What? Well, I, that's the, that's really the cool thing, because in a lot of ways, you know, mentioning that Dio, if he wasn't so unapologetically evil, he'd be the main character of this story. On the other hand, um, because of the way that Dio is, you can see the growth that Jojo has. Jojo would have been a little a little turd if it weren't for the upbringing that he had. He got knocked down to size and that made him more more noble. More pure. You see him. He starts off as not a particularly likable person because like poor Erina, she's like, like she's not even doing that much to thank him. She's just trying to be nice. And like, oh, thank you. And, you know, offered him. Yeah. You know, over the course of of um, our reading, you know, you see him truly become a, a genuinely noble gentleman, which is a really well-crafted character arc. Especially considering the role model he has for what a gentleman is, because uh, uh, <laughs> Joestar Sr. is um, an interesting take on gentlemanly. Is that an interesting take or is that um, not so necessarily gentlemanly, but just noble? Because you have to separate gentlemen and noble. Because nobles, they act nobly, but there is a side that kind of does that kind of behavior for the clout. Yeah. They look what I did. Isn't that so great and noble? Yeah, the difference between a nobleman and a gentleman uh, is actually a... a really clever and subtle distinction because i think it's i think it's very fair to say that whether or not lord joestar is um truly a gentleman we don't actually see a whole lot of him well i mean that could also be handled in the way that he raises jojo but i mean this is obviously later on that will elaborate more but i mean a lot of that and that's why i would say you know there is a separation between gentleman and nobleman and i would argue that jojo becomes a gentleman whereas his father was not yeah, that much. he was that he was specifically Wait. a nobleman. Yes. Are, I'm sorry. Are you are you questioning the gentlemanly nature of Lord <laughs> Joestar? <laughs> I am. Come at me. He- <laughs> well, well, we'll get to why you're wrong later when it's plot relevant. But OK. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, there, there he does have his moments, but we're not quite there. I'm yet. not saying he doesn't have his moments. I'm just saying that there is a, a bit of a difference between being a nobleman and a gentleman. I'm aware, but we have not even gotten to Dio. Dio coming to well, the house I yet. Thought so this maybe was we can. Podcast where we talked about our over analysis. <laughs> <laughs> What was the We're not analyzing it at this point, though. <laughs> I'm going to do my best not to make comparisons to the anime, but this is just like it's baked into the identity of JoJo's where like there are certain panels that are just like so iconic. And then you have like the anime adaptation where they'll like heavily emphasize these moments and like just Dio leaping out of the carriage. 
as he's uh, first arriving at the Joestar mansion. Like, I think it has to some extent uh, a, a bit of a similar uh, case with I mentioned um, for Helsing. Like sometimes the art would go weird and there's a couple of cases where characters hair smears into like, I don't know what. <laughs> yeah, especially I, I, it was there's one scene with Dio and some and for some reason his hair became like an ink smear. Or something. It's not. Yeah, that's not the only one that does it. And I will say, like, there's a reason why Hirohiko Rocky's art is in the Louvre. There is some early rough patches, but like just. One of the like one of the core appeals is it's just such good art. These iconic like individual panels that are just, you know, like like they're legendary. They're memeish. Mm-hmm. But anyway, young Dio Brando, after making his elaborate entrance from the carriage, um, brings forward a letter to Lord Joestar claiming his father, uh, Dioro? Uh, Dario. Dario Brando claiming a favor for saving Lord Joestar's life that Mm -hmm. now that he has passed away, Dio is to be taken under Lord Joestar's care and raised to be a gentleman in his stead. And Lord Joestar, always a man of his word, goes, of course, why would I not like repay the man who saved my life? Yeah. And it's also implied that this is something that he, you know, easily remembered. So it wasn't like Mm -hmm. I needed you know, written proof. I'm like, oh, right, that guy. Yep. I, I mean, I would hope he remembers the man who saved his life the day his wife died. Yeah, like, it's also it's, it's also very much the case where I feel like if if the situation had been reversed and Dario Brando. Oh, God, I don't want to remember that. <laughs> like he would have needed written proof. So I feel like that's ver- that's indicative of Dario's character more than anything else. Like Dio's entrance. The first thing he does when he arrives at the uh, Joestar mansion to deliver this letter, Jojo comes up to him. Oh, uh, father mentioned it. Uh, he'd uh, taken someone in. Jojo's dog, Danny, this adorable Dalmatian uh, comes comes running over. And Jojo even explicitly says to Dio, oh, don't worry. He's friendly. He would never bite. And just the most brutal kick delivered to this poor dog. If you were wondering if you were ever supposed to like Dio. <laughs> The answer is no. No. I, I mean, kick the dog is a meme for a reason. Like, Yeah. Well, it, it's a meme and a trope. Like, he literally kicks the dog. Yes. Hello, villain. This is when Dio goes on his monologue about how yep. he must destroy this Jojo boy so that he can be named heir to the um, Joestar fortune. Yeah, I was going to say, I think this is also where he starts monologuing to himself. He does that a lot. <laughs> yeah, where it's kind of like if Jojo's maybe like two feet away from him, he's like, dude, what are you talking about? <laughs> I just like to see this like. If it were like something like live action, where would this monologue take place? The other person wouldn't immediately overhear it. Yeah. I mean, in the spotlight. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, these are soliloquies, which honestly, to a large extent, kind of fits with the sort of like period piece aspect to it. It's hilarious and goofy and over the top, but I love it. I I would see a stage play of part one JoJo's. Oh, my God. That would be so good. Someone make this happen and then give us tickets. Please. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we we gave the idea, so we at least got tickets, right? So, you know, we, we very soundly established Dio as the villain of the story. 
And one of the really cool things is Dio honestly doesn't have to do much to make Jojo look bad. But like the other thing that is uh, an aspect of Dio would be the main character. He's also like really good at a lot of things. Like he's he's a naturally talented individual. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. And like Jojo is too, but he squanders so much of it because he's rich and everything's always been handed to him. So mm -hmm. Dio being the supervillain that he is and sitting next to Jojo, how much of this is true and how much of this is like Dio manipulating the situation is kind of hard to tell. But like Lord Joestar is like, I have obviously been too lenient on you. And it's like, to some extent, yeah, Jojo's yeah. table manners could use some improvement. But the fact, but the fact that immediately, like he comments on Jojo's like poor table manners, and then immediately, like he says, "You don't deserve dinner. Go, go to." And it's like that should be a teaching moment, not immediately yeah. send him upstairs without food. Well, I don't, like, I don't think you understand the school uh, Lord Joestar was taught in. <laughs> I mean, yes, I, I do, but it's just like that's what my criticism is. Is it should be a, a learning moment, not no food. It's kind of like this is what I want you to do, and we also, I we're assuming a lot that you know JoJo is capable of demonstrating proper table manners. I mean, as a noble, that's something that you would learn at an earlier age. So it's kind of like, why doesn't he just chastise him and say, hey? Use your table manners. He says, no, you go to, you go to bed with no food. Like, I think the the implication is that Lord Joestar was lenient on his son because they were both mourning the death of his mother. Mm -hmm. Be because um, we, we do get a point early on uh, um, that we see Jojo in his bed, actually in the scene when he's sent to bed without dinner. His bed frame has a portrait of his mother over it, whereas um, in Lord Joestar's room we see later, um, we are told that there used to be a portrait of his wife there, but he cannot stand to look at it, so it has been replaced with the stone mask. Lord Joestar has not yeah. gotten over his wife's death. Jo Jojo was a baby at the time, so he doesn't have that same, like connection yeah. but like that that is what i feel is going on in the background is why this situation came to me. but i'm not diminishing that but i mean it's kind of like he is still experiencing grief and obviously that grief has carried into how he's been rearing or not rearing jojo yeah but i mean that's not jo jojo's fault he doesn't deserve to go to bed without dinner because he was not encouraged to use his table manners like i mean that's not enforcing anything really well that's actually also a bit of a, a clever layer because like one of the things that's great about dio is as a villain he's presented as being like this genius tier super villain how much of it was dio manipulating the situation because he is a, a dirty commoner who's never you know seen silverware in his life yet he had impeccable Super perceptive because uh, because of his um, upbringing yeah. in the streets of London. Well, not in the street streets, but I mean, you've had to be aware of your surroundings. You've had to be aware of interpersonal relationships. You've had to be more aware of things around you than Jojo has. And that's something he obviously twists to his advantage, where perhaps, like you said, he was not, you know, particularly like a uh, savant or something or someone super intellectual. He was just able to kind of pick up on what was expected and perform mm -hmm. as such. Whereas Jojo perhaps was not able to pick up on those expectations. Because he never had to. Yeah. Lord Joestar wasn't really like was being too lenient on his son because of what had happened to both of them. 
And then Dio comes in and basically, you know, throws shoves in his face and says, hey, your son should be like this. Yeah. And then it like wakes up Joestar and he's just like, and then he overcorrects. Son, you're a slob. Go to your, it's like, but what? Why? Why is he a slob? Why is he a slob, sir? <laughs> you know? Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're asking him to be introspective and like maybe <laughs> take responsibility for his son? No. I I am. I am. Yeah, he's a Victorian era noble, so. <laughs> I mean. He could have also had, you know, his staff also step up as well you know victorian noble or not how much of the rearing was actually done by the parents Uh, that's that's a good point as well it's particularly the dinner scene but we get a couple of other things of like jojo is falling behind in his education here's dio who's never seen the inside of a classroom and he's he's you know gotten everything right every time it's like so many different things where jojo just like it gets constantly compared to dio you know dio was presented as perfect at everything again it's 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 very interesting the you know the dichotomy of it that as harsh as lord joestar is he you know jojo starts you know getting better about things he really starts growing despite how miserable dio makes everything for him well sometimes you have to make it a little bit uncomfortable because (laughs) you know he wasn't going to make these changes left to his own devices obviously he needed Hmm. you know a little negative externality to kind of shift him he needed the push. You need the push. Um, you need the push and, of some uh, kind of evil supervillain twin coming to live with them. <laughs> Sometimes that's what it takes. I, I love the little bits we get where whenever Dio and Jojo are alone, Dio will just punch Jojo. <laughs> I'm like, no one will ever believe you. I well, know. It's the worst. Out of nowhere. Sitting around around the fire just reading a book. Punch. What? You know what they say, a little childhood trauma builds character. It's not enough that Dio is slowly destroying uh, Jojo's home life either. He has to destroy his social life as well. There's a little like narration blurb about how in the 19th century, sports were taken to a whole nother level. Little boxing like derby thing that uh, people have been doing. Jojo's going to participate. He has no idea this is going to be a plot point. He's just going to go a few rounds with the uh, current champion of this little, uh, you know, for fun amateur league. But then the uh, champ at request bows out because uh, there's a new challenger. And that new challenger is none other than, of course, Dio. Dio Brando, who um, we get a lovely monologue like as they're about to start. It's like, you don't know, Jojo. You've been boxing here with commoners where I was in the fighting pits of London every single night. And I'm like, whoa, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's Dio. He has to be as extra as possible them boxing and jojo's just like oh yes we'll have a good match but then dio is just like nope better than you at everything as he dodges every punch jojo even attempts to throw at him and starts wailing on him the rules are one hit to the face and you lose anything else goes dio is using uh a new uh swaying dodging technique that had been invented basically like he he just keeps dodging jojo to humiliate him, land some body blows. I think it's just one body blow to stun him and then just full force right hook right to the face. He even says in his eternal monologue, I've won, but I will also jam my thumb into your eye. Yep. Beating yes. him in a boxing match isn't enough. He also has to gouge his eye. 
which mm-hmm. uh, in, in true JoJo's fashion, JoJo, uh, one of the characters receives a grievous injury that will never be mentioned again. <laughs> Isn't it also this scene, though, where we get the point that um, Dio notices that for some reason, even when you back Jojo into a quarter, he only comes back swinging harder. That's not quite yet. yet. That like comes he's not, yet. Okay. not yet. It's it's another confrontation. But yes, that is an observation that Dio does. Yeah, at this point, well, at this point, Jojo really hasn't quite matured yet. Like he's still he's still the bratty noble kid that mm-hmm. um, like like he's he's getting better. But Dio is just like the epitome of tough love. There is no, oh, let let me help, you know, steer you towards a more noble, noble path or let me help, you know, Dio doesn't train know you. what a noble path is. He's uh, he's extraordinarily. Nope, evil. I'm just going to destroy you and, and everything. Take everything that you got. I mean. A, a great example of that is immediately after winning this fight, Dio calls yeah. out to um, everyone, I will teach you the technique I use to beat Jojo, but on the condition that no one teaches it to him because he yep. has a tattletale that cannot keep his mouth shut or keep secrets. Yep. I'm like, what? <laughs> he just says this. Everyone trusts him. Yep. If someone said it, it must be true. Well, where Jojo is bleeding. Oh my god, yeah. Jojo's quote-unquote friends, or the people he thought were his friends or his flunkies, even turn against him almost immediately. Yeah. Great scene of uh, Jojo smoking a pipe in a tree and calls down to his uh, friends going like, hey, you guys want to cut school and smoke a pipe in a tree? And they're like, you dirty tattletale, you're just gonna tell on us, and then walks away with like, what? He was already smoking a pipe in a tree. What are you talking about? And like, honestly, Jojo has that reaction. What are you talking about? That's insane. Uh, and, you know, we've been getting we've been getting, you know, all of Dio's many asides. Like he's been talking about how uh, if I isolate Jojo completely, uh, he'll become a shell of a man. However, it seems to be working until uh, Jojo once again encounters someone. They're not super clear on how much time has passed since. Jojo and Dio have met, but uh, he re-encounters someone that uh, he had uh, previously, that Jojo had previously encountered before. Arina uh, returns the uh, the handkerchief he had dropped uh, when they first met. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we get uh, some uh, really cute scenes of uh, those two uh, getting to know each other. Mm. What? What is this, Jacob? How dare Jojo not be sad? (laughs) It's going directly against my plans that he would have any form of joy in his life. I'm supposed to be making him feel worthless. Me, Dio. Stop this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we get we get some really uh, cute moments of Jojo and Arina and Dio finally catches wind of this. And we get one of the most memed lines in all of anime or manga. (laughs) This entire scene. Is so hammy. <laughs> you thought your first kiss would be with Jojo, but it was me, Dio. <laughs> and like, I love that he's like already vampire posing before anything supernatural has happened in the story yeah. for this. He's like, oh. he's like, you don't understand. He was born for it. Literally. <laughs> he really was. Like, my favorite part about this scene is not is literally not anything that happens. It's the two schoolboys on the sideline. <laughs> everything that happens 
which is like, yeah. Dio just forced a kiss upon her. We would never have the gall to do something so severe, but Dio is a man above us. He is able to do whatever he wants. Take whoever he wants. <gasps> Wait, no, now she is washing her mouth out with mud. Mud? There's a river nearby, but she would prefer the taste of mud to Dio's lips. <gasps> like, <laughs> they narrate all of the images in this comic we're reading <laughs> in in extreme detail it's important it's it's great it was very symbolic <laughs> it's it's very symbolic that erina would rather wash her mouth out with mud <laughs> yeah well, that's sort of that's sort of the fun thing because like that is actually a really strong character moment for erina and that's where you know like these two are the parody because that's something that was very much done back at that point in like I know, I know uh, Western comics uh, did that at the time, and um, I don't, I don't know seventies uh, and eighties manga as well. But those two are parodying that, and yet this is actually a really interesting scene for both of the characters because we also see Dio actually does have a bit of a weakness that uh, he can let his anger get the better of him. Um, he he's able to control it in this instance. This is the first bit we get about how Dio's pride is not anything to ever be infringed upon because the very fact she would prefer to wash out her mouth with mud. He's like, you do not insult me. Jojo's is a hilarious parody that lampoons a lot of really dumb stuff in media. But like, it's also a really, really good scene uh, establishing characters because Erina doesn't get a lot. Like, she's not there a lot, but she is a, like, she has a presence as a character. Oh, absolutely. She has all of her characters very subtle. Subtle for, you know, being a side character and also being one of the only females involved in the series. But every action she does take is very prominent and very, and very deliberate. Yeah, a woman in this time period is not expected to do much, yet Erina, whilst... You feel it a proper lady of the time still asserts herself as, as a character and as a person with uh, really strong moments like that. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. JoJo's is great. <laughs> JoJo's is great. Join the cult of JoJo's at the end. Unfortunately, this does have the desired effect of Erina distancing herself from JoJo. Out of shame. Out of shame for uh, what had happened to her, which is just so sad. Like... Poor Erina didn't do anything wrong. Like, there's no fault on her part. And obviously, um, Jojo picks up on it. He's like, why is Erina being so distant? What's going on? And then um, one of his childhood buddies actually, you know, tells him that, hey, Dio kissed her. Passerby mentioned something about Dio. I wonder how severe Jojo thought it was because Jojo's immediate response is, gonna beat the living hell out of this guy now this is the point where like this is only the second time that jojo's thrown a punch at dio you know dio sees him coming and it's like oh well time to put him in his place he found out about the thing with erina let's uh let's deal with this and at first dio is pummeling the hell out of jojo but this is the moment where uh dio has his realization because um jojo refuses to go down and uh, starts heading back harder and harder. Jojo has a great moment where he announces, I'm going to beat you until you cry and just starts wailing on Dio. He makes good on his promise. How dare you make me bleed my own blood? That blood uh, unveiled to uh, both of them a dark secret because some of Dio's blood splashes on the stone mask that happened to be hanging on the wall and 
which wasn't that was supposed to be in Lord Joestar's office, not in the main hall, now that I'm thinking about it's, it. It's not plot relevant. <laughs> it was there because that's where the fight was happening. <laughs> right, right. When a little blood splashes on it, um, Jojo thinks he's the only one uh, there who noticed it, but the bone spikes come out and knock the mask off of the wall. He doesn't realize that Dio had also noticed that as well. But honestly, at this point, in many ways, he's not quite fully matured yet, but um, Jojo very much has, has uh, changed over the course of these couple of chapters. He doesn't just, you know, pick fights and get beat up anymore. He actually uh, puts a stop to Dio's plans, at least for now, because uh, Dio stops overtly trying to ruin Jojo's life. Dio does have one more utterly unforgivable slight, but he never gets caught for doing this. And it's also specifically because Jojo hit him back and caused him to bleed. And like, that's that's the thing is Dio did not need to do this. He did this purely out of spite and revenge. And like, that's why he's not like the perfect, cold, calculating villain. He's got these spikes of how dare you insult my pride. I need to get revenge for what you have done to me. Yeah, he's he's a true supervillain in every sense. And uh, do, do we have to talk about the saddest death in the entire series? Yeah, I know you and Jay don't want to talk about it, so I can't. <laughs> oh, and the fact that it's like a trope in like certain horror movies as well. So um, audience at home, uh, if you read along with us, you should have known this was happening. Also, this is pretty known about Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. But I'll, I'll go ahead and get us past this point. Um, we cut to the butler um, putting away the burnable trash outside. And he notices a large box down there and just goes, huh, well, that must have been um, some one of the maids threw something away. And he turns on the uh, fire and locks the furnace. And then he hears screaming and banging and goes, oh, no, a person must have been in that box. I should have looked. And then busting forth as he opens the door is the burning body of Danny who is mumbling as if a person would because his mouth has been wired shut. And uh, Danny burns to death with the strong implication that uh, Dio did it as revenge. It's one of those ones where no one would ever be able to prove that he did it, but like... No one else had a vendetta against this dog except him. The story that gets told is that the police think a burglar did it and found Danny and wanted to kill him so that... Despite the fact that nothing was stolen. What they're saying is that the burglar was casing the joint and killed Danny to make it easier to burglarize, which is fine. Like, that, that, that makes sense. You don't kill him that way. <laughs> Why lock him in a box and put him in a furnace? That doesn't, yeah, it's like, like you shoot the dog, you poison the dog, you lure the dog away. Like those make sense for a burglar, not lock him in a box and put him in the trash. Because at that point, you could have burglarized the house. But no one cares to investigate further. Well, that's true. And no one's accused Lord Joestar of being a particularly intelligent man either. So <laughs> he is an archaeologist, isn't he? Yes. Or is he just got that archaeology? Um, no, he's not. He himself is not an archaeologist. He just um, he bought it. But uh, anyway, the next chapter, we get my favorite time skip, which is we are just told it is seven years later. You know, it is one of the cases where it's like, I really liked the period piece aspect of Phantom Blood. I would have liked to have seen those seven years for the sake of actually getting to the like, you know, the actual plot of the story. It 
makes a lot of sense to do this. Well, it's it's like, what would we have seen in those seven years? Because what we're established, like, it wouldn't have even been more of the same. Because what we get established on in the beginning is that uh, Dio and Jojo are friends now. In fact, the best of friends. For seven have years, they, they have been nothing but good chums. Have they, have they become true brothers? And uh, we do get a little bit where JoJo's becomes a rugby manga, and I, I really enjoyed that. That was pretty great. And we also, we also now establish the uh, JoJo's trope of everybody being 40 feet wide. I'm not going to lie. It was great. Because, <laughs> like, it was pretty great. JoJo is like, he's a tree now. Yes. And Dio isn't that much off from that. I, I'm not I mad. love how that's that's canonical too. Like they reference the fact they are the size of trees. Yeah. Jojo. Jojo is like, I will kick you with my tree trunk of a leg at one point. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's great. This is parodying things like Fist of the North Star with like these ridiculously like overly cut character designs, but like, oh my god, it's so amazing. That combined with the ridiculous posing is is part of the reason why JoJo's will never leave the public consciousness. However, uh, despite this um, uh, this astounding rugby win where JoJo drags four people along and then passes it to Dio, who because uh, JoJo had distracted the other team, Dio is open to sprint to score. You know, they have this great sports moment. Uh, we get internal monologues from both of them. Uh, uh, one of these internal monologues is where we get the uh, the really fun Dio hair moment. But uh, we get the internal monologues of, uh, nope, Dio is just as evil as he has ever been. Not, not shocking anyone. But we also uh, see that uh, Jojo can never shake the feeling that um, uh, Dio hasn't changed accurately, uh, judging his character. And uh, I mean, you know, he did he did. Dio did burn Danny alive, so it's like, how do you forgive that? <laughs> hey, hey, you could never, you could never prove it in a court of law. Best friend. After after this uh, delightful rugby game, we go home and find out that oh no, Lord, Lord Joestar is ill. He's he's been sick for uh, weeks, I believe. How unfortunate, Father. That's right, me, Dio. I have been calling you Father now. <laughs> you should take your medicine. You should take your medicine. Don't go to the hospital. They just want money. Take your medicine, father. Have I been throwing off enough serial killer vibes, Jojo? Have you noticed <laughs> anything wrong? No? You're not very smart, are you? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it cuts a weird line of like, I know canonically Jojo is supposed to be pretty intelligent. Like, they're supposed to be epitomes of everything. But because of how hammy everything is, Jojo ends up holding the idiot ball a lot. See, that's the thing. Like, Jojo isn't stupid, but I don't know that he's supposed to be a genius either. Like, he's a paragon of goodness. I would argue he's not supposed to be a genius for the mere fact that he's constantly running into people who are teaching him things. He, he is college educated. He is college educated. Yeah, he's not stupid. It's just he's not a genius. And like, Dio I'm just saying... The plot does not portray him as smart is what I'm trying to get across here, which is which is not unfair. Yeah, I've never I've never gotten the impression that uh, Jojo was a particularly smart boy. Yeah, I would say he's not like a genius. He's definitely intelligent because he also has a curiosity. I mean, he studied, you know, archaeology. And so he has a curiosity and he enjoys research. He enjoys learning about things. 
Yeah, and and something that you mentioned, Jay, that's really important. Like one of the things that like is is a showing of JoJo's growth that like he is willing to listen to people. Like if someone knows something, he's very willing to. Okay, well then teach me. You know, I, this is the point where we see that he really has grown, matured, and he has at this point truly become a gentleman. You know, he's he's yes. not completely flawless, but but he owns that. And it's way. like one of the big things is that he's willing to improve and be better, which is something that I think is is fair to say wouldn't have been true in the beginning uh, when we mm -hmm. first meet him. This uh, this scene also has one of my favorite lines from Jojo, where he's on his um, father's sickbed and he slams down in pure rage. Father, no, your sickness. If only I'd given up archaeology and had gone into medicine, then I could heal you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> OK, buddy. <laughs> You know, again, as good as this is, it's still a parody. And oh boy, does it have those moments. This it's something that has to be experienced, dear listeners. <laughs> Watch and read JoJo's because like, they're they're both great. But like, you know, it's it's so hammy. Ham is delicious. <laughs> anyway, let's get the let's get the Dios Ex Machina out of the way. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, Jojo is, I didn't even know what he's doing when he finds this letter. He just knocks over some boxes and finds Dario Brando's letter. He, he's frustrated because he feels that he, he picks up on the fact that it's somehow connected to Dio, but he's not sure how. I don't think it's even that. I think he's like looking through his father's books for some reason. Yeah, because he doesn't he doesn't suspect Dio at this point. He can't be convinced that Dio wasn't the one who killed Danny, but... He doesn't think that Dio has anything to do with his father's sickness because the idea of, you know, poisoning a person never enters noble Jojo's mind. He's so sweet. So innocent. In all fairness, it has also been seven years of Dio playing the best friend game. So it's yeah. Jojo has never trusted him in those seven years. There's always been something like holding him off from fully trusting. But like it's also he acknowledges Maybe I shouldn't rush to judge because I'm not even sure. The cops said it was a burglar. Like, I just suspect it was Dio who killed Danny. Jojo even thinks that. Like, he's... But anyway, he, he finds the letter from uh, Dario Brando. Was it hidden in one of his father's journals? Was that it? I don't know why it would be hidden. Like, that's the thing. No, it wasn't hidden. It was just stuffed in a box somewhere that he happened to knock over. And I really like this. Because this is another one where it's like Jojo might not be the... Jojo might not be the brightest knife in the crayon box, but he's not stupid either because he immediately makes the connection. Dario, um, in his letter to Lord Joestar, mentions the symptoms that he is suffering from, and Jojo immediately realizes this is exactly the sickness that father has been suffering from, at which point he uh, waits to see uh, who has been giving father the medicine that he's supposed to be taking. He hides around a corner uh, when he sees Dio taking away the medicine that the doctors had been giving uh, and replacing it with something else. It's a moment that like it really is um, a great moment for Jojo where think about the character development. You know, earlier Jojo would have flown off the handle and immediately immediately gone over to like tackle and punch him and everything. But now he's kind of like, I'm going to approach this you know, from a different angle later. And Jojo grills Dio on, uh, you know, I saw you swapping the the uh, envelopes 
you know, what did you just do? You know, Dio's trying to play it off. And uh, again, you know, uh, just a really great character moment for Jojo where he says, uh, swear on your father's honor. You have no ill intent. <laughs> Dio, uh, and Dio responds exactly the way Jojo feared he would. Honor. I love how Jojo like inner monologue of like what he thinks is that um dio's pride is too much that he would never like allow himself to lie about that situation like he, he that's what he expects of dio dio flies off the handle he's used to being around nobles so if you're going to be mm-hmm. a noble you're going to always be noble about it well dio's like i'm not having any of that crap with that yeah the plan works for the opposite reason though dio would lie about that but he breaks the how dare you imply that scumbag of a man that like ever had honor like yeah he he refuses to acknowledge his father in the same breath as the word honor like that's so in character for jojo because like he thinks the best of everyone he does his best to see the good in everyone and uh unfortunately the person he's standing across from is is about as abject evil as it gets this time, um, Jojo is weak no more. He is, uh, when Dio flies off the handle, uh, Jojo moves to uh, take the poison from Dio. Dio tries to stop and pull his arm away, and um, they have they have another fight. It doesn't last nearly as long as last time, and it is significantly more one-sided. The other sort of nice thing is that, like, for all of what's been going on, Jojo wants uh, proof. So he goes out, again, not totally stupid. He makes a point of saying, do not let anyone. He goes to his father and says, do not let anyone give you anything other than the doctors until I return. I can't tell you yeah, why for the sake of your heart, but please. Mm-hmm. That, that's another thing is um, Jojo hires two more doctors. So, so there's now a team of doctors. Well, also the fact that Jojo also wants to approach this as methodically and as well informed, well informed as he can. So he does take the medicine, the poison to his university and tries to have it, you know, reverse engineered so they could find out, analyze where it could be, where could it, where it could have originated and they're not able to decode it. Uh, this is, of course, a Victorian... 19th century story so it is a mysterious concoction from the east that cannot be understood by science (laughs) because it's still jojo's (laughs) jojo is able to start to figure out where dio would have gotten this from he surmises that dio being from london yep i'll head there and he finds out that stuff like this can be found on the uh incredibly dangerous ogre street we meanwhile get a parallel story of dio deciding well I've been found out. I'm not going to jail for this. I'm going to have to kill Jojo now. Method is actually kind of clever uh, because um, he also noticed what the stone mask did. He intends to use the stone mask on Jojo to kill him. And then no one would know that the stone mask could do that. And even if they look into his research and find it, they would just assume that uh, Jojo's own research had been the end of him. You know, further for, further establishing Dio as the supervillain that he is. We uh, find ourselves on Ogre Street, which um, the uh, tales of it being a crime-ridden den were uh, definitely not exaggerated because within, like, seconds of Jojo arriving on the scene, a literal, like, mob of thugs descends upon him. He gets off the wagon and is immediately surrounded. Like, at first, it's just three people. Well, to be fair, he shouldn't have gone out of the house like that. 
<laughs> yeah, I, he he is dressed like a noble, and like they all call him out. Like, it's really stupid of you to dress like that and walk here. You should have known this was coming. Uh, to which Jodor responds, "I don't care. I'm here on a mission, and this is what I happened to be wearing at the time. Do you know where this came from?" And shows the poison. Old of him to assume they can recognize poison on sight. Yeah, because it's in a packet. Like, yeah. But still, I mean, what's inside this manila envelope? <laughs> Tell me <laughs> this this colorless, tasteless powder with no smell. And we're also like 20 feet away from each other in the middle of the streets of London. I need answers. So look, look, was a thing. do you want Coke? Is that are you, are you trying to buy drugs? Because You're at the right place. <laughs> you're at the right place for that. So, yeah, they proceed to try to mug him and um, <laughs> Jojo's battle tactics are interesting. One of them tries to stab him, so he grabs the blade of the knife. Yeah, and they're like, you idiot. Why did you grab it? If you know if I just twist it, you're going to lose all four of your fingers. He's like, well, even if I end up losing all four of my fingers, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's specific, specifically what he says is um, the second you pull that blade and cut off my fingers, this tree trunk of a leg will find its way into your groin. Is that a bet you're willing to take? <laughs> it's great. There's a, a short fight scene, uh, character gimmicks that don't actually come up again. I don't think uh, I don't think our the the important character of this group, Speedwagon, ever uses his his, uh, his hat thing again. That was pretty amazing, though. I did. It was it was pretty great. You could afford to use it more. Yeah, his hat has like three, three blades in it that turns it into like. It, is, does Odd Job from James Bond have the same yeah, hat? It's an Odd Job hat. Yes. Okay. Which I think this is actually no, I don't know because the James Bond books are super old. Maybe oh, almost certainly this is a reference to Odd Job because that's like a '60s movie. Okay, like, yeah, the, then there's no then way JoJo's is it. 60s. No, yeah, it's not. Um, I kept saying in previous episodes that um, JoJo and Dragon Ball were uh, 70s. They're actually really early 80s, like 82 and 83 or something along the earth, 83 and 84. It was it was early 80s. So I was a little bit off uh, other times I mentioned it. But yeah, Goldfinger is uh, 1964. So, OK, yeah, then that's definitely an odd job reference. One hundred percent. Point is, he should have kept the hat trick. And that definitely would have been something that he could be more consistent about. It would have been really useful at other points, but I well, hold on. Let's let's little spoilers here. Uh, after this fight, it would literally never be useful again. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong either. <laughs> I guess that's true. The great way that this fight concludes is Jojo crosses his arms and gets hit in the bone by Speedwagon's hat. And Speedwagon even goes, I heard that sound. That's the sound of the blades connecting with bone. He, he basically just restates his resolve at that point that um, like I know I know he uh, gives uh, Speedwagon a good uh, punch to the face, but um he basically just yeah. restates his resolve. I don't care what you do to me. I'm here. I'm here with purpose. And uh, I don't care if I lose an arm or a leg. And apparently that just ticked all the boxes in Speedwagon Tinder bio because he then immediately <laughs> falls in love with Jojo. I cannot describe their relationship in any other way. This is someone who is smitten with an individual. 
You're not wrong. <laughs> the other thing that um, Speedwagon notices is that um, Jojo absolutely laid out all of the all of the thugs. He gave uh, Speedwagon himself a, a, a good shot. And the other two were like on the ground groaning in pain. But he also notes this guy, it, <laughs> they restate, this guy is a tree. He could have broken our faces, but he chose not to. He is a true gentleman. And this is like the first time when um, it gets stated when uh, this is this is actually also the part where the the uh, the army of thugs comes out and they're about to um, uh, descend on Jojo for attacking uh, the, the Ogre Street respected Speedwagon. And Speedwagon says, if anyone lays a hand on this gentleman, they shall answer to me. Speedwagon, because everyone has to dramatically announce things like that in this manga. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. And at that point, uh, Jojo has made a friend for life. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I never thought about it, Matt, but uh, yeah, you're, you're probably right. Maybe more than a friend. Oh, no. Yeah. Like in all of, especially in the internal monologues, like Speedwagon is in love with Jojo, <laughs> like Jojo. Like there is no other way to read that. Like every thought this man has is about how cool Jojo is. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I never thought about it that way, but you are absolutely right about that. <laughs> that makes it even better, honestly. There's a scene later on that I'll point it out to. It becomes really obvious. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, Dio is, um, meanwhile, as he's uh, going around to like set up his uh, plan to kill Jojo with the stone mask, um, he hears that Jojo is going to Ogre Street and his immediate response is, oh, he's going to get himself killed. I don't even need to worry about this. Uh, but he tests out the stone mask anyway. Specifically, he gets he gets wine drunk walking around the city streets and then bemoans himself for picking up his father's vice. And uh, he he bumps into two other people basically in the same state as he is just significantly older and grungier. And uh, he decides he's going to test out the uh, the stone mask on one of them. And um, the bones do pop out of the mask and impale the guy uh, through the skull. So test successful there there were some unforeseen consequences of of this action though because mm -hmm. uh the the guy's not dead he gets up with the uh bones still impaling his brain dio tries to uh use uh the knife he has on him cuts two of the guy's fingers off um not quite sure how that works but um oh it's, it's worse than that he like cuts from from the joint between his two fingers yeah, and the rest of his hand cuts through his hand and then most of his arm. And what that does is deflects the punch that was coming at him from hitting him and instead directs it to the wall next to him, which um, this panel is where I went from really appreciating the art to going, oh, my God, I understand why this is so dynamic now, because we get an amazing panel of this guy, this like random guy who just got infected by the mask, punches a like dome crater into the side of a building that is two stories tall. It's 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 uh, a really it's a really cool image. Also, Dio's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> he's uh he's in a bit of a state right now because the other thing is while he was using the blade of this knife to deflect the guy's punch it uh shattered his collarbone because the guy was so strong and it's one of those ones where it's like he punched a crater into a wall so obviously he's superhumanly strong but just being in the presence of someone who has awakened the power of the stone mask just being like within arm's reach of them is probably going to shatter at least a few of your bones is what we get established 
Mm -hmm. However, this guy, he's basically just turned into a feral animal at this point. Um, We do see they're not directly called vampires up to this point. Mm -mm. I think Dio gets called a vampire at one point, but like that's I think Dio calls himself a vampire, actually. I think what it well, I think someone says that um, one of the antagonists later is a zombie vampire, as in a zombie made by a vampire. Therefore, Dio must be a vampire. But specifically, this is a roundabout way of saying the stone mask turns you into uh, a Jojo's vampire. Uh, a JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Universe vampire, which is not a normal vampire because we also, the reason I bring this up is we see how vampires drink blood in this universe. It's um, interesting. You shove your fingers into someone's throat. <laughs> then like drain their life force or something. It's really weird. <laughs> yeah, and this is this is happening to Dio um, when fortunately for him, unfortunately for literally everything else in the entire JoJo's universe, the sun starts to come up and immediately vaporizes new feral uh, vampire. I can only assume that must be a curse of the stone mask is you discover your powers just minutes before dawn. <laughs> that, that happens to another person in a flashback. Oh, it means do your experimentation much earlier in the evening, guys. Well, that's the thing. That's, <laughs> that's how it is for Dio. He doesn't do it right before dawn. He makes a point of it being uh, early in the night. Um, but yes, Dio has now formulated a new plan of how to get out of the situation that he's currently in. We see him uh, returning to the Joestar mansion after this experience, and uh, he sees uh, Jojo uh, waiting for him. And uh, he starts laying it on real thick of, oh, I realize how horrible I've been. Uh, to to have grown up a street urchin like me, it's it, it must be in my blood. I'll turn myself in uh, just if you would be so kind as to give me time. Dio says a lonely street urchin by me. I am just a product of my environment. Ah, yes. Because that's, that's that counteracts. Character for him. Yeah, because that counteracts immediately what Spigen interjects with with product of his environment. No, I am from the streets as well and I can know. Oh, that person is pure evil. That's an ability we gain by being on the street. It's not giving us a bad name. <laughs> <laughs> he does kind of give that vibe, doesn't he? And like, yeah. that is the thing, though, because it's like you can like if you're looking at Dio. Bad people who are products of their environment and there's Dio. Dio is genuinely purely innately evil. One of the, like, and so in that he has been, um, you know, Speedwagon pops out and says, don't listen to him, Mr. Joe Star. I have seen his type before. And they also reveal that um, the man who had been selling Dio the poison had already ratted him out too, and like already confessed. And then the police opened the door that they had been hiding behind because and like it very much is the case where I really like this as a moment for Jojo because like. Jojo didn't want to think, even though he he knew like you can't not know at that point. But like Jojo wanted to think that, like, maybe this is all a colossal misunderstanding and I just personally don't like it. But no, he and it's like he he doesn't do the stupid thing of actually trusting Dio. He has it set up for when Dio inevitably reveals that, yes, I am as awful as you think I am. 
that it's already set up to take him in. But uh, Dio has uh, one last trick up his sleeve. He says he wants uh, Jojo to be the one to cuff him. Jojo acquiesces because, uh, you know, it's like I don't want to defend him too much because, yeah, he is he is still naive. <laughs> There's no other way of putting it. But then the medicine man, as Dio's father, um, just our senior, you know, goes back up the stairs, turns away to let um, Jojo take care of it. The uh, medicine man actually does, you know, say that man's not going to go quietly. He's not going to die because like that. Uh, we also got a bit of a flashback with these two and uh, the the three moles on Dio's ear that I always think are earrings because I always thought they were. Yeah, of, of this series. Um, but he says, I knew someone who had uh, a birthmark like that. He lived for one hundred and eighty three years. Some medicine man from the east. Uh, mentions that uh, that man uh, will not go so quietly. And uh, Dio uh, distracts Jojo with the fact that he has the stone mask from that Jojo had been studying and it. It uh, stuns Jojo long enough for him to pull out the knife. And Dio intends to stab Jojo and use his blood to activate the stone mask on himself. However, Lord Joestar leaps in the way, uh, protecting his son, and uh, it is his blood that instead activates the mask as the police, uh, thanks guys, then shoot Dio and uh, blast him out the window uh, as the stone mask pierces his uh, skull. Yeah, they shoot Dio a lot. (laughs) (laughs) He gets shot by eight guys with enough force to throw him out a window. Throw him out of a window. Yeah, he he goes flying. We're getting this dramatic scene of Lord Joestar is expiring. He has a line that I I kind of like. Lying in the arms of of your beloved son is not the worst way to go, or something to that effect, which I really liked because it really does go to show how far you know Jojo had come. However, the medicine man wasn't wrong about Dio. He is not going to die this day. We don't see him rise like Speedwagon is like, get a doctor. Uh, And then he turns around and sees that um, just outside the window, there is nothing. So that's a problem. (laughs) I believe it's around this point that we also get another flashback of the uh, police constable lamenting the fact that he. It's uh, specifically as um, Mr. Joe Star is dead. He he recalls um, uh, the wedding ring. That uh, in his dying breath, he gives to Jojo. It's his mother's ring. Um, And he had two, but that was when um, we get revealed that Mr. Joestar all along. Mm -hmm. The wedding band and And, the engagement ring. And and Mr. Joestar reveals all along he knew Dio's father was a dirtbag. But like it, it wasn't so much that he was deceived by this person. It's that he wanted to be a good person and like his moral values is that you repay debts that are given to you because it, it is established that at least from Joe star's point of view is his life was saved by Dario. Like, well, and that that's by- the thing. Dario does in fact save um, both uh, Jojo and Lord Joe star. He, he mm-hmm. robs them first, but for Lord Joe star, that doesn't matter. You still saved my life and I still owe you my and my son's life so raising your son is absolutely something you know i'm willing to do for you and and like the big thing the police constable like his point of view is like i can't believe he wouldn't want to see like the man who hurt him punished 
But like we then get from Speedwagon, which is great. He narrates the like bond between father and son that is passing that he's like, no, you don't understand. That is such a pure conviction. Like it doesn't matter if they've hurt you, like the very nature of like upholding your values and being a good person is it doesn't matter if someone's a bad person. You still treat them with the utmost kindness and you repay debts to them like and you give people the benefit of the doubt up until like it hurts you up until you have irrefutable proof that they are not worthy of uh, such consideration. Yeah, that's the thing, though. He has irrefutable proof proof that he is not worthy. He ignores that because I'm still going to repay my debt because you did help me. Mm-hmm. I feel indebted to you and a good person would repay that debt without thinking anything beyond it and also gives him the ring like something that means a lot to him. He's like, clearly you need it. Sell it. Go become a good person because yeah. he's giving him the chance. He's like, I know he he doesn't want to believe someone will always be a bad person. He's like, please take this. Go make something of your life like and even the police chief immediately says he's just like i warned him then he's like you know he's just gonna spend it on like booze or whatever what lord joestar wants to believe and this is something that he ultimately (laughs) funnily enough through uh uh jojo growing uh and maturing in the wake of all of dio's nonsense the thing that uh he imparts onto his son that uh jojo uh keeps is that um believing that people aren't inherently evil and that it was circumstances that caused Dario to be the way he was, that if he just has this chance, he can make something of himself. He obviously failed that chance. Well, the, one of the, one of the really cool things is, um, and I, I think this is even, this happens much earlier on, but, um, uh, Dio actually asserts himself that people in general are good. I am Mm -hmm. not good. People are like people, generally speaking, are inherently good. I am pure evil. And from Dio's perspective, that he feels that makes him superior because he's willing to do whatever it takes to succeed. And like, especially with like a lot of the people who um, we meet over the course of honestly, most of the series, you see a lot of people who are who are evil because they choose to be evil. But like the series never really refutes the idea that, yeah, people are good and that, you know, Trusting in people gives you the uh, gives you a lot of chances to get burned, but it's worth it, you know, because I mean, like, who would give Speedwagon a chance? Mm -hmm. And like when we got to this point, I was actually of two minds of how I felt about this moral, because it's like in the way it's presented, it very much feels like on an initial watch. Like, oh, are you you seriously is your moral don't have faith in people because some people are just bad. And like, that's the knee jerk reaction. But then, like, as we read more, I was like, wait, no, it's it's more nuanced than that. It's like mm-hmm. you've got to have faith in people and like faith by its very nature is something that like you don't need to have like evidence of. And in fact, can fly in the face of evidence because like you want to believe that people are inherently good because that is the world that is better for you. And like Jonathan Joestar died for that belief that people are inherently good like he wanted to believe dio could be good if he was raised right and he wanted to believe dario if he was given a second chance would be a better person and that was something he believed so heartedly he died for it and he wasn't upset that he died 
He no, died and happy in his son's arms because he died for a belief that he thought was better. And honestly, a belief that made Jojo a better person. Mm -hmm. Like Jojo is who he is because that belief got ingrained in him. I have a decent knowledge of all the way up to part four and like Jonathan Joestar is such a, you know, and I mentioned like Araki mentioning that Jojo is supposed to be like a paragon of goodness. He is a he is a very genuinely good person. And, you know, he you know, him being that way makes the world a better place. Again, like, you know, my immediate thought is for all the Dio's in the world, you also have the speed wagons. Like who would ever give Speedwagon a second chance? Everything yeah, about no. him says that he should be exactly the same way Dio is, but he's not. He's good at heart. And it's no, worth it putting yourself at risk for people like that. And like in a lesser story, what the moral would be is the second one person is just plain evil and cannot be healed. They would be the antithesis to your moral of like, that's why you shouldn't give everyone a chance. Some people mm -hmm. are just always going to be bad. But like what the moral of Jojo's essentially, I, I, I'm just going off of what we've read, seems to be like, yes, Dio is inherently evil and he is beyond redemption. But like, that's not an antithesis to people are good and deserve a second chance. Like Dio still deserved a second chance. He just yeah. threw it away. But like exactly Dio being bad does not negate the moral that everyone can be fixed. Like mm -hmm. Dio can't, but like one person being an exception. Yeah. One person being an exception does not negate good things. Yeah, the the thing that really sold that to me was the fact that like Dio himself acknowledged that most people are good. Mm -hmm. And so why would you let the Dio's of the world ruin everyone for you? You know, mm -hmm. it's 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 a really, really solid moment. And it does so much it, like like it makes it makes Dio all the more loathsome as the villain and Jojo all the more endearing as the uh, protagonist that like there's this dichotomy of the two. They are perfect foils of each other. Uh, and speaking of perfect foils, uh, they have a really cool mansion battle, <laughs> which um, <laughs> Can we can we get off on the first bit here where Dio, it was revealed how he was hiding was he had jumped up above the window and was holding himself with his fingers embedded into the wall <laughs> like his strength was forcing him up. And I'm like, OK, I guess we just need to concede in the Jojo's universe. Walls are made out of like tissue paper. immortal concrete that cannot be <laughs> yeah. moved by people's weights like because. <laughs> He's I mean, yeah, because he's like, over the windowsill. You're right. Yeah, like, I mean, like yeah. the level of material he's embedded in, what should happen is he should just fall through that, not not hang there. Look, he's using his he's using his vampire powers, okay? That's well, what's like, going as on. Long right as, we're, now. as long as we're starting about the fight, um, they immediately start fighting and speedwagons there, and then there's a scene about a little bit into the fight where Dio because I think the stairs are burning, instead walks up the wall and then through the ceiling by yeah, embedding his feet. And I'm like, how does that work? Yeah, he's stomping into the wall. And Just, yes. Well, and that's one of the, that's one of the, the really ceiling cool has to be the ceiling has to be like two feet thick, though, because he's going like up to the like mid calf. Um, like. But yeah, one of the one of the really cool things, um, and this is something that like uh, the uh, 
like gets emphasized in the anime adaptation really well there i go again but like what's going on right there like he's walking up the side of a wall and he's talking about how he is surpassed to the limits of humanity like he is like beyond any normal thing like this shouldn't be possible but he's doing it anyway in defiance of reality um this is this is jojo <laughs> I think is that another case where he says bizarre? Um, but like someone says bizarre, <laughs> you know, like that's one of like the those iconic images that always gets uh, recycled of just Dio walks up the side of a wall just because he can. The beginning of the fight is they <laughs> they try shooting him in the head. That doesn't work. They try uh, Jojo tries uh, uh, an iron spear that gets twisted like a pretzel. Um, so the next best thing they can think of is fire, which kind of by this point, the cops have all been slaughtered by the by <laughs> and the only two, the only two survive. I think some of the cops, I actually don't know if some of the cops get out. The only two survivors that we like get any focus for are, um, uh, Jojo and Speedwagon, uh, mostly because Speedwagon is there to, uh, dramatically narrate everything that's happening. Um, it's great. I think the majority of the yeah, I think the majority of the bystanders have actually left at this point because um, Lord Joestar has been declared dead. Like one guy is near the window and like is looking around. He gets immediately killed by Dio. But at that point, I think everyone else had left because there is a small amount of time that has passed because uh, Lord Joestar has been moved up to his study. Yeah, there was a there. It's like there was like a a fairly large group of cops and there's like two or three people left by this point because uh, i know dio uh drains the life force of at least one of them mm-hmm. um because dio uh reveals that uh when vampires do that to someone uh, they can turn that person into a zombie but uh the the zombie that dio makes there is quickly dispatched i believe by the iron spear basically what uh jojo realizes is the stone mask um, and like th- this is very much like this is 19th century logic that the story is using to its advantage. Um, Jojo's like, uh, there's so much that's unknown about the brain. The the uh, bones that come out of the stone mask must uh, interact with very specific locations in the brain that unlock latent abilities that turn you into a vampire, I guess. Um and so he realizes that the only way that he can stop the constantly regenerating Dio is if he uh, destroys him, destroys the brain completely so that it cannot use those unlocked abilities and burning him into nothing is is the only option that's available to him. I think Jojo goes up the stairs as they're being consumed by the flame and Speedwagon's telling him not to do it. And then Dio's like, oh, you think I'm going to walk through the fire like you want me to? I will do this instead and then proceeds to start walking up the wall. Because Dio, we get Speedwagon monologuing about like, no, my love, don't sacrifice (laughs) yourself for me. Even Speedwagon is afraid. I merely stole property. He stole lives. (laughs) That's a little later, but yeah. Still a great Speedwagon line. (laughs) It's it is a great Speedwagon line. Speedwagon is great. I love Speedwagon. Yeah, uh, Jojo keeps um, drawing Dio higher and higher up to the roof of the mansion because if the entire building is burned and then Jojo uh, shoves Dio back down, which, you know, like, you know, what a metaphor, like Dio keeps climbing higher and higher and then Jojo drags him down into the fires of hell. 
it's one of those examples where for all of the crazy campy hamminess of Speedwagon narrating a bunch of stuff he doesn't have to, like that metaphor is not done farcically. That's a really clever image. Jojo is able to tackle Dio down through the ceiling. Uh, Dio does the trick where he just embeds himself into the wall again. Goodbye, Jojo. Jojo's able to uh, does parkour with the spear that had been broken, I think, which also doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's really cool. A lot. That, thank you. You've described this fight. A lot of it doesn't make any sense, but it's really cool because and currently he's still he's still suplexing Dio back into fire. And Dio has got a great line of like, Jojo, you fool. The fire won't kill me. And Jojo's like, good thing it's not just the fire then. What? <laughs> no. <laughs> because uh, in secret, he was not piling him directly into the fire because even Jojo realized that would not be enough to kill Dio. It was on to the guardian goddess of the Jojo of the Joestar family, the goddess of love, who had a spear on top of the statue and that impales Dio, <laughs> keeping him in place yeah. as the fire burns. Yeah, uh, uh, Dio was able to separate himself from Jojo. Jojo uses his belt to pull him down. And, uh, you know, by pure happenstance, what luck Jojo has, um, the impact of Dio hitting the spear knocks Jojo out of a window. So he survives, too. Yep. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it could have been something. And he had another lucky break. Like there were two lucky things. He he found the spear that had been broken previously, and he parkours off of that so that he can use his gotcha. belt to pull Dio down. Because uh, one of one of the other oft memed moments is the goodbye Jojo, because the uh, the uh, Japanese version of the anime is really famous. I I, um, I I like that line a lot. It's really funny <laughs> for all the seriousness. It's a really funny moment. Um, hey, uh, Sam in the future, who has to edit this, uh, go find the clip. Yeah. Yeah, you can put the clip over me saying it. That should make up for the us doing this without you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, make more work for him. That'll make up for uh, not doing JoJo's. No. Uh, aye, aye. Anyway, JoJo's recovering in the hospital. <laughs> and we get my favorite Speedwagon scene. <laughs> Once you said it, I realized, oh, yeah, this is what you're talking about. <laughs> where he runs into the nurse and Speedwagon just goes, how dare this nurse stop me, Speedwagon, from seeing my beloved friend JoJo? <gasps> Wait, hold on. I can only I can see her hands are bloodied. Wait, has she been rebandaging him over and over again? How many times has she bandaged him? Her injuries are that of someone who has bandaged him at least 162 times. And I'm like, Speedwagon, hold, hold on, buddy. Slow down here. Hey, don't get in the way. This bromance needs to blossom. This woman is in the way of our mighty bromance. But <laughs> she must truly care for this Jojo. For if he was bandaged, um, if he was had his broken bones in a cast, he would not be able to have his uh, burns healed. So she is not cast at his arm, but that means she needs to stay by his side constantly so he does not wake up and unset his bones. <gasps> what kind of nurse would do this? She must have feelings for him, but I am the only one who can have feelings for him. <laughs> no, I think I think uh, Speedwagon takes it well because uh, he does. He does leave uh, Erina to 
You know what? So long as I'm interjecting, I'm going to pop in here to say Speedwagon himself says he withdraws coolly, which he is. He's very cool. But uh, yeah, the girl from the beginning is a nurse now. Yeah, it's it's sort of funny because like to some extent, it kind of seems like they're trying to leave it being Erina as a reveal, but also it's the same person like they show her face in full. It's not like they hide it. Try and keep it a surprise, but then you remember there's only one woman in this entire comic. <laughs> really? Like, they don't even ever show JoJo's mom. Like, everyone's mother is dead. Um, there are no young women because they're all old women, kind of. But yeah, in the background, but no one, no like characters. There are no other love interests. Like, he only interacts with one female in his entire life. He goes, I'm sure, I'm assuming to an, I'm assuming he goes to an all boys school too, because, you know. And eh, no, yeah. he's definitely homeschooled. He's definitely homeschooled. It's Victorian era. Uh, all bo- schools were all boys school. Oh, that's also true. Um, though, yeah, I gotta say though, I gotta say though, Erna, pretty top tier. Like. Of all the women in this comic, she is my favorite. <laughs> which there are one. <laughs> she is my favorite. That metric also my least favorite, but we won't go into that. <laughs> yeah, uh, all seems uh, well enough. Uh, friendly reminder, Jack the Ripper exists. Yes. That's really it, too, is we just get confirmed. <laughs> oh, there is another woman in the scene. She immediately gets killed by Jack she the Ripper. Immediately does. No, wait, yeah, no, there's three women in this story. There is the woman who gets killed by Jack the Ripper. There's Erina, and then there's the uh, sacrifice at the very beginning. The first character we see is a woman, a young woman. So, yeah, there's, no, uh, Erina is, is, is first place of three. There's also the two old women in the next arc who uh, talk <laughs> about the missing women. And then there's also the women who are used as chattel for the vampires. So whether or not you want to count them as characters, they don't get named. <laughs> I mean, the sacrifice doesn't get named either. So they also the women who are being eaten by the vampires are already dead at that point, though. So notice there are no lady vampires either. Do they even become do they even become vampire zombies? We don't even get to see that. Like, there are just no women. Women just die. Dio does seem to have like a huge thing against women currently. Like, that's part of his character is he resents women. Um, yeah. Because he, because his only example was his mother, and his mother was useless. Oh, I thought his example was Erina, who, after he kissed her, washed her mouth out with mud. I mean, I think it was before both. that. Like, definitely, he. I think he always hated people, but then yeah. women. <laughs> yeah, he's he, never. He hates. He hates everyone, but women in particular, because he's a very likable character that you're supposed to endear yourself to. <laughs> yes. You don't understand. Um, they wound his ego. They are a just, threat. Just by existing. That sounds like something Dio would think. Dio's looking like Emperor Palpatine right now. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, the uh, the fire didn't quite finish him off. And uh, we finally understand the significance of all the Jack, the R- Jack, the Ripper stuff. Dio recruits him. Yeah, he's like, hey, I'm making a team of extraordinary individuals, <laughs> except <laughs> evil. So uh, do you want to have unlimited power? Do you want to be a zombie? Yeah, they definitely lead you up to believe he's going to offer them the mask to be vampires underneath him. But no, it's I'm going to turn you into a zombie which we can establish later is not a good deal. 
No, it's not. But yeah, and like that is the thing, though, where it's like when it comes to Dio, do you think he would ever let anyone else be a vampire if he had the choice? He sees himself as above all things like he would never let someone be his equal, though. Uh, the good news is uh, Jojo is recovered enough to uh, walk around now. Um, he returns to his ruined home and uh, unfortunately he can't find the stone mask and that keeps uh, eating away at him. But uh, well, what, what are you going to do? Um, at, at which point he turns around and meets uh, the enigmatic Will A. Zappelli. Will A. Zappelli is uh, quite the individual because he's got that like checkerboard hat that Ariaki draws every single time. And that always yep. amazes me like that. That is a detailed hat to have as your character's constant like. I wanted that hat. I mean, that's that's something that you could always say about JoJo's the effort put into the character designs. There's a reason why these characters are never forgotten, because uh, mm -hmm. uh, they all have such intricate details everywhere on them that is not necessary, but like wow. Uh, um, can we can we go to my favorite part of Zapelli's introduction? where he immediately punches Jojo in the gut, who is currently like wrapped up from like hospital bandages and everything with his nurse taking him on like a walk for fresh air around the compound. Zapelli just punches him in the gut. He coughs and his arm instantly heals its way out of its cast. And he's like, what? The other thing is, um, it's it's a punch with the pinky extended where most of his forearm disappears into Jojo's chest. Yep. Like, <laughs> I struck your diaphragm so you would breathe differently, and that instantaneously healed you. You must now breathe in the bizarre way I do. This is where we get introduced to the main character superpower set of uh, Hamon. It's, it's really fun, uh, all the different names that this has. By Zapelli, it's called Hamon ripple and occasionally he calls it like the blood energy and there's like, like there's like a sando i believe is another name that he gives it sando is technically like the the philosophy of it like the east asian philosophy from which hamon is the energy but yeah. like yeah and hamon hamon translates into the ripple so it's it's one of those ones where it's like it has 30 different names because you're calling it three different th like <laughs> It has to be extra because it's JoJo's. But yeah, we um, Zapelli uh, explains a little bit of the origin of the stone mask uh, that he actually was on the expedition that found it. Um, so he knows uh, better than anyone how dangerous that it is. In that uh, a similar incident happened where someone wore the stone mask and ate basically the entire crew in their vampire form and chased him into the water and was about to consume him. And then in the like morning light of dawn, he recognized the face as that of his father. No longer a man, but a monster. Yep, it struck a particularly deep chord. That brings up something to Dio's character. Is it everyone else who puts this mask on becomes like a feral beast? I was just going to say Dio was already a monster. He was yeah. already. And yeah, he was already a monster like. It, it, you can't make Dio any more savage than he already is. Um, or, or if you say that, if you were to say that to him, Jacob, I'm pretty sure he would prove you wrong. Or he would prove you. Yeah. I am yeah. a gentleman. 
No. You're just like, wait, you're saying I couldn't? You're saying I couldn't do <laughs> Don't that? Don't limit me. Don't <laughs> limit me that I can't be worse than I already am, you, you cretin. I'll kick two dogs. <laughs> I don't want that. No. <laughs> but yeah, so um, uh, Zapelli is going to teach Jojo uh, the power of Hamon so that uh, he can uh, uh, stand against uh, the power of Dio and the stone mask. Which actually he then realizes Jojo doesn't need to be taught the power of it. He needs to be taught to control it because Jojo touches a branch with his healed arm, and it instantly sprouts into flowers from the overflowing hamon that must be within his body. He has taken to this new breathing technique so forcefully, like, out of nothing. Hey, he's got that protagonist energy going on. Because um, it's specifically stated here that uh, the Dark Mask um, absorbs the power of other people's blood and uses it to fuel your body, and it is a force of destruction. Whereas Hamon is a power that is granted originally from the sun, but comes from within, from your own blood. It is a force of, like, good and nature, because one of the first... Yeah, one of the first examples we get is um, Zapelli going to punch a frog. And everyone's like, no, don't punch that frog, which Jojo, I'm going to point out. You did have a scene early on where you said you liked uh, tying tying frogs up by their leg and twirling them around on a string. So it's you are not not the frog savior here. So shush. But I mean, that was uh, younger immature Jojo, to be fair. But yeah, it's a bad enlightened now. it was, but Zapelli punches the frog straight and it even squishes down along with like a little ribbit. And uh, instead, the ripple of his fist goes through the frog, leaving it unharmed as it shatters the rock beneath it. For that is the power of Hamon. Pretty sure the frog feels violated slightly. He's like, what the hell is wrong with these people? <laughs> then, Jojo's, then Jojo meditates for a week, which I don't blame you if you didn't notice because the one week later uh, panel was very well disguised yeah (laughs) as uh, Jojo is uh, refining his abilities uh, Dio sends the uh, the uh, poison dealer uh, with uh, ridiculous uh, sword claw hands because why not (laughs) well it's it's because he's a Chinese stereotype well I mean it's really what it's coming down to you're not wrong. <laughs> you have to remember they they their craft originally was produced by the Japanese and yeah <laughs> yeah. Well, not even the Japanese. Like that's an '80s like action movie stereotype. Is that, like the wise Chinese merchant. Like that's just yeah yeah. That is a stereotype of the time. It's just, it it looks really dumb and I love it. <laughs> but yeah, JoJo is able to. Uh, uh, use what he has learned to uh, defeat this uh, zombie uh, poison merchant guy with claw hands, and uh, he goes running off to inform Dio that uh, Jojo has become strong. Our last little uh, story movement is Zapelli and Jojo. Jojo chooses to uh, leave Arena as far away from all of this as possible, which, honestly, fair. <laughs> When when does Speedwagon show up? Because <laughs> he gets in the carriage with them on the way there. Like I I think he heard they were going on a road trip, and he's like, 
My boy ain't going away without my beloved Jojo. My my beloved Mr. Jojo. He sensed. He sensed the disturbance (laughs) that his Jojo needed him. And then he was there. I can only assume. My Jojo has this tingling. We get established that there is um, just on the border of the Joestar estate where the knights of the British kingdom were trained. There is a town at the end of a long tunnel. Uh, Wells Knight or Wiss Knight? I forget what the town's name is. I thought it was Wins Knight. Like it might be Wins Knight. I think it's Wins. Wins Knight. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's one. But anyway, the big thing about this, um, it was where knights were trained. And uh, for some reason in this long tunnel, there is a broadsword embedded into the roof that no one knows why. I and don't also, know why either. So, and I've read this. <laughs> it doesn't explain it. Um, <laughs> no, it really doesn't. Well, well, yeah, we'll get to it. But um, <laughs> essentially what has been revealed is that Dio has made his home here. Um, and is, he's like, I started too big before. I'm going to slowly build a base of power. I am never going to fight anyone directly if I can avoid it. I'm going to build a circle around me to keep me protected. And from there, I will conquer this town. Then I will conquer London. Then I will conquer the world. Because, of course, actually engaging in combat is beneath me, for I am Dio, spelled in all caps. And at this point, Dio has also completely healed from his burns because he has been drinking the blood of young women. He says he still has some on his at on his like abs. And he's like, if once I am able to heal these last burns, I will no longer have any marks of my you know failure or um, from from Joe from Jojo. Mm-hmm. In the uh, carriage in this tunnel. Uh... It suddenly gets stopped. Uh, Speedwagon goes to see what the problem is, and um, none of the horses have heads anymore, so that's a bit of a problem. Horses are dead, Master Joestar. <laughs> what? <laughs> and uh, one of the one of the heads has been forcibly shoved onto uh, the neck of uh, the carriage driver, so that explains why he wasn't answering. Um, that solves one mystery. Uh, what just happened? <laughs> Then Zapelli being like the only smart person in this trio for the remainder of this fight, basically, goes, yeah, stay away from those horses um, because they're definitely dead. And then he gets too close to the horses and you look down the neck and Jack the Ripper like, it's me. I, I'm That's confused. how you make an entrance, folks. Did did he hide inside the horse after killing that in like the split second he had? Or okay, so later con? on, later on into the fight, apparently it's revealed how he was able to, you know, disable the driver and the horses, and it still doesn't make any sense, but. <laughs> I thought I missed that, and I was going off my personal theory that he must have been playing the long con and snuck into the horse earlier that night <laughs> and was hiding inside I mean, the horse. Hiding inside a horse, puppeteering it? Yes. That's amazing, and I believe it. But there are two horses. He only well, needed one. Need puppeteer one. He could just kill the other one after. I think there were also four, weren't there? I don't know. It, it doesn't matter. The, the point is, Zombie Jack the Ripper is here, and he's he's gonna he's Zombie gonna Jack kill. the Ripper loves to stab things. Yeah, like, he, he really does. Dude stabs himself through the face because he was getting bored. Yeah, I can see why maybe maybe Sam would enjoy this character. 
Well, he probably wants to go on a date with him. He's not a Russian assassin, though, so. Can we check one box? He, he does grow that sweet, like, villain beard upon being turned into a zombie. That's true. We'll have to wait for Sam's commentary of whether or not this would be an appropriate match. <laughs> this is all going to get I'm going cut. to assume yes with, uh, <laughs> without even confirming with him, so. <laughs> We're going to assume that Jack the Ripper is uh, Sam's waifu for this episode. <laughs> nah, he's too large. I'm not into Baras. Also, screw all of you. Uh, yeah, uh, at this point, um, Zapelli shows the uh, full power of uh, a true Hamon master and uh, handily clowns on. Uh, we start seeing some of the more ridiculous things that Hamon can do. Uh, he takes a sip of wine and uh, exhales them as bladed discs that can cut through steel i guess they're sharper than the knives that uh, jack the ripper was keeping hidden in every single one of his muscle groups so that when he flexed knives shot out <laughs> because that's his power that's his thing oh my god i love jojo's it, you know it, it's very much the case where like so much of this was wow it's a period piece okay now we've got some supernatural stuff going on now you're at the bizarre adventure folks now we're at the crazy nonsense <laughs> It only gets weirder from here. And uh, Zapelli, basically, Zapelli is, you know, he could have very easily finished off Jack the Ripper, but at this point, he's he's using this as a teaching method. Now, Jojo, I want you to finish him off uh, without, and he hands him a glass of wine without spilling even a smidgen of uh, this wine. If you uh, spill any of it, I will abandon you uh, because the Vikings were uh, made by the North Wind. He, he essentially takes the same teaching method uh, Lord Joestar had, which is your child only grows through adversity. <laughs> Basically. Um, meanwhile, um, Jack the Ripper, like, twists the sword in the ceiling and it opens a tunnel. But the problem is that tunnel, that tunnel is on the tunnel's roof. Like you have to, the secret door goes up. It doesn't make a lot of geometric sense. Hey, it, uh, there's there's a night training hall. There's like an Egyptian catacomb that we get told is a training hall for knights in the mountain above this tunnel, I guess. And um, <laughs> okie doke. Jonathan Joestar takes his glass of wine and lights a fire and walks through into the darkness and is then basically immediately attacked. And he's like, wait, no, the fire is giving me away and puts the fire out. And like after like hiding again, uh, goes on this long monologue about how haha, without the fire, how am I supposed to find him? Meanwhile, Jack the Ripper is waiting on the other side going like, haha, the fool, he does not understand. My zombie powers allow me to sense him by his blood alone. It is as if he has a giant spotlight on him at all times. The fire was never necessary. I will wait for him to turn this corner and then I will kill him. And he is 20 meters away. He is 10 meters away. Jojo looking down in pitch blackness, I guess, at the yeah. wine, no notices the ripple in the wine glass and goes, wait, the ripple through the wine is the ripple in my arms, is the ripple in my cells, is the ripple of the earth. I can ripple. sense vibrations. I know where people are. <laughs> I can also uh, sense life force. Ripple. It's the seismic sense from Avatar 
some like what 30 years before <laughs> mm-hmm. and essentially he goes he's on the other side of this wall i'll punch it with my ripple punch which punches through the wall and attacks only him and we get this great panel of him like come on go around the corner oh no as he's then like uzumakied into like a <laughs> pile of goop because whenever zombies yeah. are hit by hamon in this they just melt there, there's a bit of a logic leap here, but it's JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, so bear with me a moment. The um, the light of the sun uh, gives power to the air that you breathe, and that and that air uh, goes through uh, is is what powers the cells in your body. So if you're using Hamon energy, you are redirecting the power of the sun, and the sun burns vampires to nothing. So the ripple is like punching with the with the sun. Is the reason why he goops. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. I, uh, that is enough for me to go like, sure, that works. That's, uh, that's an explanation, I guess. But uh, Jojo passed his test. He did not spill a single drop of wine, and then um, I won't have to disown him because wine's expensive. Get to the other side of the tunnel, and then rather than stay on the road, they're like, nope, we're gonna take the long way around. Well, that's where the next fight scene is. Come on. I, I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to remember why they did what they did, but then they end up just next to a lake for some reason. But then they get mugged by a child who, um, oh, I'm sorry, we skipped my favorite part, where uh, a speedwagon wants to learn Hamon. Zapelli goes, I couldn't teach you Hamon. Also, the fact Jojo over there is so good at it is because every second he is standing, he is breathing in an incredibly difficult way, which teaches him and increases his natural energy. He is a natural gifted talent that I could not dream for in a million years. I was trained by a master of many decades for five solid years to even get where I am. I am not a master. I cannot teach you with that level you need. And then Speedwagon just goes, yeah, but we're fighting like vampires and zombies. I'm kind of wondering what else I'm supposed to do here. And then Zapelli <laughs> literally stops for a second like, no, you're right. We should probably do something about that. Maybe I could just try poking your diaphragm. This is going to hurt and then punches him in the gut. And then we get a great panel of just like, oh, I made a mistake. I missed. I think I just stabbed you. Ow. Ow. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> hey, he warned him. He said, I'm not a master. I just kind of just <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I, I, I love I love the explanation from Zapelli to Speedwagon is your backstory isn't tragic enough. You are not an anime protagonist. That's essentially what it is, is you don't have the anime protagonist powers, but like barely meta contextualized. Well, it, it's it, what it is. What he literally says is Jojo has has a innate motivation. But like what that translates to outside of the context of in-universe story is you're not the protagonist. So, no, you don't get the special powers. It's it's really blatant. it's essentially what happens too. Because um, Jojo's is a spectacular parody. Yep. And in the same scene, uh, they get their bag stolen by a child who he must have jumped off a cliff. He jumped off a cliff with a rope that takes him across the lake they're on. Like, the, where is this it, rope it's connected? It's actually? a river. OK, I, I don't know. I don't know how any of this works. <laughs> It doesn't matter. It, it won't matter in like two seconds when we reveal what this whole thing is. But it's uh, it's yeah. literally an excuse 
for Zapelli to go, hold on, let me pose cool a few times, because right here is when the posing gets to be like what this thing's bread and butter is, because people are posing every single panel now. <laughs> and Zapelli goes, hold on, let me shake my arms at the right movement so I can ripple the water. And then like we get this intricate geometric pattern as the ripple goes across the water and Zapelli just starts running across the water and everyone's like, he can walk on water. And then Jojo jumps on the water and he's down like his he's going like ankle deep, but he's still running on the water and then Speedwagon jumps in the water and immediately sinks down to his head <laughs> and he just has the most furious look on his face is just like it's from his nose up is is above the water and he just looks so mad and in case you uh, at this point haven't gotten used to um, how they're doing these insane things just being described as Hamon deal with it like uh, one of Jojo's signature moves at this point is the zoom punch where he dislocates his arm so that his he's not his ligaments aren't connected so his punch can stretch and he's using Hamon to ignore the pain and then heal up afterwards and i'm just wondering how does that add extra force to the punch though because they're <laughs> like <laughs> you're, you're slapping someone with a wet noodle then apparently but whatever Hamon. The, uh, the, the, you're transferring the power of Hamon into them sure uh, <laughs> sure why not they they catch the kid yeah they do and um they go like wait no no child acts like this he's being hypnotized but who could possibly hypnotize and then amongst the crowd of graveyards they're at zombies start rising and from the cliff we go but jojo didn't you know me dio i can hypnotize <laughs> i can just do that and uh we are we are left on the cliffhanger of uh dio has returned the yeah, literal cliffhanger we, because he is on the top of a cliff. We do get a great like full chapter of Dio on the cliff arguing with Zapelli because we needed <laughs> that scene. Like, uh, And it, I, I only bring this up because this has one of my favorite um, quotes from Jojo's that uh, I've actually seen in other things before I saw in Jojo's. Zapelli uh, asks him, how many people did you have to kill to heal those injuries you sustained? And Dio just matter-of-factly goes, do you remember how many slices of bread you've eaten in your life? Yeah. It, it's that right level of hamminess, too, because that line is hammy. But, like, it's also essentially, like... It's also horrifying. Yeah, because at this point, Dio has fully renounced his humanity. He is absolutely not a human being because he is an apex predator. Humans are pieces of food to him. Yeah, your prey. Like, you eat to heal your injuries. Do you remember how many pieces of bread you had to eat to heal? Like, no. I don't keep track of that. It is beneath me. We end on what is presumably the... Because at the end of that, uh, Zapelli gets hit once, and then Jojo steps up like, no, I'll fight Dio. And then that's the end of our reading. Let's, uh, let's bring this home with the discussion topics. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, uh, favorite characters for everybody. I mean, Matt here, I'll, I'll go first. I, I don't know how you can read this and not say Dio. Like, <laughs> I can. Dio is the entire feeling of this. Like, I, I said earlier, like, this is basically Dio's bizarre adventure. Yeah. Because, like, Jojo is reacting to him. And in fact, Dio gets enough monologues that he essentially gets 50% of the screen time. For me, basically, where I'm coming from is. 
Yeah, Dio, how can you not? He is like he's such a good villain, you know, like he's so eminently hateable. I like I really like like one of the things I really like about him is that if he wasn't so evil, he'd be the protagonist. So like there's layers to him. Um, He has a really good Achilles heel in that his combination of arrogance and short temper can get the better of him. Like he, he's he's a character with actual depth. Um, I never used to particularly care about Speedwagon, but Matt, you've actually made me really like Speedwagon a lot. <laughs> Like he was always funny meme character, but uh, he's definitely uh, a favorite of mine now. And of course, uh, Jojo's uh, like he's he's got such a great journey. But like it's Dio, man. He is he is the the centerpiece of this story. Everything. Everything comes back to his actions. OK, Jay, who's your favorite character? Hands down, Speedwagon. <laughs> That's fair. Ooh, I mean, good choice. Just because he's the most relatable character for me, I'm not that over the top, but it's just kind of like when you really... I saw him from a more level-headed where he really recognized the good in JoJo, and that's what he latched mm-hmm. on to, because he himself admits that I, I'm a criminal. I steal from people. But he really latched on to, oh, JoJo's not just some naive noble. Like, he genuinely believes what he's doing is is for the best. He's genuinely a good person. And that's someone I want to be allied with. To me, that really speaks to his character. The fact that he really dedicates his life from here on out to supporting JoJo in any way possible. Because even though he's not able to contribute, you know, forcefully, he still wants to be on the sideline. It's constantly asking how can I help? What can I do? And, you know, really dedicates himself to the cause. So, yeah, I like him. He's a decent, he's a very good support character. And because he has that, because he comes from a place of disillusionment, I think. Well, not disillusionment, yeah. but well, like, he doesn't, he doesn't see the hope in humanity from uh, Ogre Street. But once he meets Jojo, he changes. Yes, I'll I'll jump in here and also give a honorable mention to Lord Joestar. Uh, I really enjoy his character arc in this. Yeah, because we get to see his full like character arc of like, you're right. I was too hard on Jojo, but also I every time I saw what Dio was doing, I felt like I needed to push him because he is my son. Which I mean, fair. And in all fairness, we do skip seven years where assumedly they have a much more healthy relationship so yeah he he is also a very strong supporting character like like one of the cool things about jojo's is there aren't really any bad characters because i mentioned previously for as little as erina does she's great too so like shout out to her as well like yeah it's just this this is a series this is a great series with a bunch of great characters and um it took a while to get to them but a, a fair number of uh pretty uh pretty serious fights uh, what was everybody's favorite fight that's a hard one it would either have to be the fight at the Joestar mansion or it would have to be um Jack the Ripper when they're at the um at the carriages and it would have to be one of those two it's a very hard question to answer right off the head off the top of my head i'll go with the yeah. mansion Okay, cool. Uh, Matt here. I'll um I'll I'll split mine in half too because I, I like them for very different reasons. Uh, the Jack the Ripper fight, um, specifically the second part with uh, Jojo, as opposed to against the Pelly, uh, I really enjoyed that. Like that's got like that like right level I like in a good shonen fight of like using your head and like counteracting things. Mm. Um, that's just a legitimately good shonen fight. 
Uh, whereas um, what I'll say is a joke is my actual favorite fight is a uh, Dio versus uh, Jojo's boxing match because of just how handily Dio beats him and then immediately goes, haha, I'll teach you all how to beat him as well. But nobody tell him for he is a tattletale who could not keep a secret. And like the fact that he says that in the same breath, like, I love that. Right in front of Jojo as well. Complete stranger, by the way. Jojo at least knows these people. Yeah, Jojo knows these people. Dio is from out of town. Um, for me, um, for me, it's pretty solid because like I like a lot of the fights. I like honestly both ends of the uh, Jack the Ripper fight and um, a lot of um, Jojo and Dio's like childhood confrontations are really fun. But the thing for me that I really like is especially um, the back half of the mansion battle. Um, because it's something that, and it's like, to, to some extent, the rest of my knowledge of the franchise might be coloring this a bit, but the idea that, um, Dio kept rising and rising and rising and reached above the level of everyone else. He's standing on the roof and then a Jojo drags him back down into hell. He fights and he struggles and he seems to have all the advantages and he seems to win and I'll survive while you die. And then he's still, you know gets inevitably dragged back down it has it has like goofy stuff like jojo parkouring off of the broken spear and whatnot so it's like it's a good fight but the thing i really like about it is it's one of the greatest examples of jojo's bizarre adventure not just being a good parody not just being funny not just being hammy but also just being really really good literature and i really love the metaphor of you know like the joestar mansion is burning down and the wealth that's associated with that is something that Dio cared about, but Jojo only cares about his father who's gone. So, you know, like Jojo isn't losing anything for the mansion burning down, but Dio, the wealth that Dio wished to obtain is now gone. There's so many layers to the mansion burning, meaning so much more than simply a house on fire is is really clever and just an example of the mad genius of Hirohiko Rocky. Another thing that's uh, worth touching on is... Um, this is a JoJo's reference. Um, JoJo's is one of the most like referenced series of all time. One of the things that I always uh, like to touch on whenever I'm talking about JoJo's is that Mother's Basement video I mentioned. Uh, he played clips of other anime referencing uh, JoJo's, and the one that got me was there was a JoJo's reference in Pokemon. What do you guys think of like how? how like universal jojo's is because like before any of us actually experienced it directly we'd all seen the memes jay here i'll jump in first actually i was not fully immersed in all the jojo's memes i had not heard of the series until a friend of mine you know propositioned it <laughs> at all and even to this day i don't really see too many this might completely change after this episode maybe <laughs> i'll be able to be like inundated but i haven't really seen the jojo's memes i know i'll probably get some flag for that but yeah i haven't seen too many i know they're out there i don't get hit with them a lot hmm you clearly don't talk to sam enough <laughs> that is that is true that was, that was where a lot of my exposure came from to be fair uh so there's a common denominator there <laughs> 
But I'll, um, I'll also say, like, um, my main exposure to JoJo's, especially, like, as reference points, like, not really so much from memes either. It's, like, literally from seeing, like, the JoJo's posing in, like, anime where they'll do, like, the exaggerated poses as a reference. And, like, as I said earlier, um, the amount of times I've heard the line, um, how many pieces of bread have you eaten in your life? Like, that gets referenced a lot. Like, that, that quote's in a lot of places. Like, not even, like, directly referencing... Well, it is directly referencing JoJo's, it's but it's not, like, called yeah. out as as a meme. Yeah, it's being used as a literary reference. And that's sort of, that's sort of what I was uh, kind of getting at with it, because, like, one of the things that I've noticed is once I started getting into JoJo's, it, it's very much the case where um, JoJo's is a complete dynamo in Japan. You can't not know JoJo's in Japan. But like in the West, it's a lot less well known. And, you know, it's like, you know, I started getting exposed to the memes when the anime came out and a lot of people were talking about it. But um, one of the things that um, sort of blew me away as I started to uh, get to learn some of the JoJo stuff is. Like I mentioned in the Yu-Gi-Oh episode, how there was that headband that I had never recognized before. JoJo's is something that like permeates all other anime. You know, uh, the big difference between, you know, the these two like parallel series in my mind, JoJo's and Dragon Ball is that Dragon Ball got internationally famous, whereas JoJo got like baked into Japanese culture. When someone does an exaggerated pose, they're not just posing. It's a JoJo's pose. That's just that that's something that's always uh, stuck out in my mind is really interesting of how how deeply it ingrained in Japanese culture. Yeah, no, uh, Jojo's Bizarre Adventure is definitely a phenomenon. Like, it, it is impossible to escape, like, its grasp. Yeah, so uh, I guess that wraps up uh, us talking about Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Uh, man, hopefully Sam can be with us the next time, or uh, we can read something else Sam enjoys next time he wants to take a vacation. Keep it to the line, Sam. No vacations. <laughs> we can take vacations, but you can't. Aww. As always, uh, if you ever want to reach out to us or um, in this case, send Jay uh, JoJo's memes. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, reach out at OverMangaCast on Twitter. Um, if you ever want to comment on an episode or leave a review and you don't want to do that the normal podcast way for some reason, but always appreciate those five stars, you know, feel free to reach out to us on YouTube. Uh, we've got all the episodes up there. Uh, I think they're on like a week delay. So if that's why this episode isn't there when you're listening to it, you know why. Um, and then always Instagram, Facebook. You can reach out to us on there. But yeah, uh, any reviews, feedback, always happy to hear from you guys. Or, you know, just tell us we have bad opinions. Like, we'll get offended if that's what you want. And I'll tell you <laughs> you're wrong. Because uh, that's how opinions work, is people just shout that each other is wrong and no one tries to grow from them. That's what I've learned from being on the internet. <laughs> Alternatively, you could have a, a, a constructive discussion. That's also a thing that we could do. I mean, theoretically. That's, that's dumb, Jacob. You don't have those on the internet. Yeah, okay, fair point. <laughs> but yeah, engagement anyway, so. Anyway, um, next week, uh, with Sam being back with us, so we're going to give you the book listing. Uh, we are reading Platinum's End by the creators of Death Note, so that'll be exciting. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, this is this is the opposite of Jojo's. I'd never heard of this until it was on the reading list, but looks like it'll be good. So, yeah, it's got an anime coming out in the fall. So uh, dating the episode. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, good night, everyone. Good night, everybody. Good night.